Hey, today we are concluding uh, our series, Unlocking Freedom, uh, a study through the book of Galatians, because uh, next week is Love Shelbyville. So uh, we're excited about that, being able to go out and serve our community, love our community. It's also uh, uh, Sunday, next Sunday evening at 5 p.m. is our covenant member dinner. Uh, and so if you're part of the covenant member family here, that'll be at 5 o'clock. And, uh, and then we kick off Christmas. We might have put up the Christmas tree yesterday. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> early decorator, early decorator. But today we're going to finish up in uh, Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, uh, so uh, be finding that and join us there. Uh, I know we have some bus drivers here at uh, Christ Community Church. Uh, Joanna is a bus driver. Marshall, Jerry, I think he's a retired bus driver, right? How many of y'all rode the bus when you were a little kid? A few bus riders. How many of y'all have never ridden a bus? Anybody? A couple. There's a couple. All right. Well, if you haven't, uh, you're missing out. Um, Mom, you don't have to like grab his hand down. It's okay. It's, it's all good. But uh, for our bus drivers, I want to commend you and uh, let you know that I pray for you a lot because that is a big old mission field. It's a big old mission field when you ride the bus. And uh, I know that because I remember riding a bus, uh, bus number 10. Bus number 10 was under the supervision of a guy named Bob Sullivan. Bob Sullivan wore the same thing every day. He wore a plain white t-shirt underneath a pair of bib overalls, and uh, he had a big old chaw in his mouth, <laughs> and he would, uh, his thing was windows, or as he called them, winders, and if your winder was more than halfway down, he'd look up in that big old mirror up at the front, and he'd say, put your winders up. I will never forget Bob Sullivan. I learned a lot on uh, Bob Sullivan's bus. I grew up way too much. Grew up way too much. I had an assigned seat on bus 10. Uh, I was three seats from the back. And uh, in the very back seat was a young man named Dustin Pitcher. Um, wouldn't it be funny if he happened to listen to this podcast? <laughs> Let's just hope that doesn't happen. And uh, <laughs> one in front of me was uh, a young lady um, a few years older than me named Ellen. Ellen uh, also happened to be my summer babysitter. So that put me in a little bit of a pickle. <laughs> and uh, one day I remember I was sitting there and I repeatedly heard Dustin calling Ellen by this very derogatory term. He continued to repeat it and to repeat it and he kept saying it, kept saying it. And, um, and then like I started to notice that he did that a lot. Like it wasn't just a one day thing. Like that happened over and over and over again. It just became a normal part of riding the bus. Um, so I did what any second grade kid would do. I tried it. <laughs> Ellen had been pestering me this one day. She was annoying me. She was making me feel like this little kid, and she was my babysitter, and I didn't really like it. And so uh, I just let the word fly because it was normal, right? We were on the bus. That word was flying around the bus all the time. Like, what, what did it matter if Dustin said it or if I said it? And so I let this word fly in the direction of Ellen, and then I quickly cowered in my seat when Ellen turned around and yelled, Blake Lawyer, I know your mother, and she is going to hear about this. And she did, and it wasn't good. I tell that story because here's, here's the principle inside of this, right? It doesn't matter how old we are. You could be a second grader, you be an adult. And if you are around sin, if, if you and I are around a sin long enough, it becomes normal. 
right? It just becomes normal. There, there are certain things that if we are around them enough, they just become normal. They become normal. And as Paul closes this letter to the Galatians, he, he's been writing about this situation, right, where, where the Judaizers, these false teachers, were trying to tell the Galatians that they had to be circumcised. And, and he's saying, no, you're free in Christ. You're free in Christ. And, and he comes all the way to the end of the letter. And, and now he's, he's lovingly leaning into the Galatians and, and he's going to give them kind of his last hurrah about how to handle this tension of being free in Christ and yet respectful to, to all people. And so the tension that he starts with is the same tension that I talk about in riding the bus, is that sin, it, it's easy for sin to become normal. And it's easy for us as fallen humans to normalize sin. Read with me, if you would, in uh, verses 1 through 5. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So Paul doesn't excuse us from, from helping people uh, walk from darkness into light. He doesn't excuse us from, from trying to reach people for Christ, but he says, be careful because when you do that, there's this, this realistic thing, there's this reality that it's going to be easy to normalize the sin that you're experiencing. He goes on to talk about this in, in 2 through 5. He says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. We're called to do this, right? But if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for the, then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. You know, the fact that to reach people far from Jesus means that we have to get involved with the darkness of sin doesn't mean that we stop going outside with Jesus. It just means that we have to realize what we're up against. We have to realize that, that we're going to be tempted with the same sins that they're living in and that they're experiencing. And so as we're trying to unlock freedom in our lives and we realize that we're called to help give that freedom to others, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be a tension there. And too often what we'll do with that tension is what Paul writes about, and that's to, to think that we're too important, that our journey to freedom is too important to go back and help others with theirs. And so we begin to, to give ourselves these own rules. We begin to try and control ourselves, and we forget about loving others. But Paul's whole gist in Galatians chapter 6 is simply this. A new creation doesn't live without control. A new creation loves without control. A new creation doesn't live without control. It loves without control. And so, so often in our lives, we're so worried about controlling our own stuff so that we can unlock freedom in our lives that we forget to love others with the love of Christ. And, and what Paul is going to get us to is that when we do that, that's how, we, that's how we preserve the freedom that Christ has given to us. I want us to, to think through this process, this lifelong process of unlocking freedom for just a moment. You and I, we were, we were born to parents. Parents who were sinners. Their sins looked different, but all of our parents had sin. The people around you sinned when you came into the world, and before long, you sinned too. You manipulated your parents. You bit the kid that stole your toy in preschool, right? Maybe you just stole the toys you wanted because you were in charge. I don't know, but you sinned. We all sinned. And now 10, 20, 40 years later, 
It may not be toys or manipulating your parents, but, but there's still stuff in your life. And you don't know how you got there, but life is, is messed up. You're hurting. You're doing things that you don't want to do. You're addicted to, to something. Maybe you're addicted to alcohol just to take the edge off. Maybe you're addicted to the notifications on your phone. Maybe you're addicted to, to just wanting more in life. Because you've spent a lifetime, literally since the day that you started crying as a baby to get attention, trying to turn your life into something that's worth boasting about. And it's led, it's led you to think that some of the raunchy things in your life are normal. That it's normal to do those things to get what you want. We need help, right? I needed help. I was cussing at my babysitter on a bus in the second grade. That's not normal. And so if you, like me, need some help, then, then would, you, would you tune in to what Paul writes in Galatians 6, 14 through 16? Paul says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, may I not spend a life trying to, to do things so that I can boast about my accomplishments or achievements. May I never be trying to boast about anything except Jesus. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. Man, wouldn't that be great to say? Wouldn't it be great to feel that my interest in this world have been crucified? And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. A new creation doesn't live without control. A new creation loves without control. And so if you spent your life trying to fix your sin, if you spent your life trying to, to get yourself under control, if you spent a life trying to fix yourself, then, then lean in and hear what Paul writes in this. It's not going to work. Because what matters is being a new, being made a new creation in Christ. Paul's telling the Galatians, he's telling us that the change that you want to see in your life is change that comes when your interest isn't about getting a better life in this world, but when your interest is, is in the one who changes it. What counts, Paul says, is you being the new creation that God has created and called you to be. So if you want to be free, live free. Choose to talk like Jesus, choose to walk like Jesus, to share like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and then you will experience that freedom in Christ. It's, it's having faith that God will create the change in you. It's appropriate that uh, today is, is Orphan Sunday because this idea of adoption, right, it best encapsulates this idea of, of Christ making us free, of Christ purchasing us and, and making us new. It's a great picture of how the gospel unlocks freedom in our lives, and it shows us how Christ's uncontrollable love brings our chaotic lives back under control, not ourselves. And so as I thought about that, I came across the story of a guy named Joe O'Brien this week. <clears throat> Joe O'Brien was born in 1930. You know, it's so easy when we think about orphan care to think about, you know, little children, the children of today. Joe O'Brien was an orphan in 1930. You know what else was happening in 1930? A depression. This was Joe's story. He wrote this this week. Uh, he didn't write it this week, but he wrote it and I read it this week. I've got this on the screen for you. It says, My adoptive parents, Joseph and Donna O'Brien, entered my life, and it became one of the greatest events that ever happened to me. 
They loved me and they saw to my development during the most difficult depression years. How about that? (laughs) We think about the excuses we have to love others. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough things. In the middle of the depression, these people chose to adopt. They gave me a wonderful childhood and guidance that became the foundation for the rest of my life. Because of their unselfishness, I now have my own wonderful family, he added. I've been married to my wife, Marge, for 62 years. Together, we have five children, three girls, and two boys who are our greatest accomplishment. In addition, we have 14 great-grandchildren and 10 great-grandchildren. I'm truly blessed to to have a family with so much love. That's a picture of what happens when you love without control. Love multiplies through people and across generations. And when we love without control, that's when freedom reigns. That is when freedom reigns. I love what what Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9, and 10, and I think it gives us some guidelines for how we might love without control. He writes, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So quickly, as we think about these two verses, I want to give us three guidelines for how we might love without control, um, even within the context of, of what we're already doing. Number one is simply this. Don't miss the opportunities to love all people. He says, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to, to everyone, right? We, we hear that and we think, yeah, we should do good to everyone. But I think a lot of times in my head and maybe in your head, it plays out more like this. I'll do good to all people except for those who have taken advantage of me or those who might take advantage of me. I'll do good to everyone except for those who have hurt me in the past. I'll do good to everyone except for maybe those who have hurt my kids. I can't do good to them anymore. I'll I'll do good to everyone except for those who don't share my worldview or who didn't vote for who I did. I'll do good to everyone except for those who don't have anything to offer me. I'll do good to to everyone except for maybe those who don't deserve it because of the way that they live their life. You see, we think we want to, but we miss so many opportunities to do good to others, to love without control because of these exceptions, these things that that are just kind of hardwired into our brain to the the sins that we've normalized inside of us. And so I want you, if if you would, to to kind of take this challenge with me this week. At some moment, cut out a few minutes and and sit down, just you and a piece of paper, and I want you to pray and and ask God, God, would you use your Holy Spirit to to show me all my accepts, my exceptions? Who, Who are the people that I really struggle to love? It might look like filling in one of these blanks. I can't love because. And what are those things that you can't, that that keep you from loving? Or maybe it's I won't love, right? You know, but you're choosing. I won't love because. What are those reasons? What are those excuses that keep us from doing good, of loving without control? Because we can't miss the opportunities, right? We can't miss the opportunities, number one. You know, one of the big excuses, I know one of the things that will come on my list when I sit down and do this is, I'm tired. My schedule's full. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I, I need a break. But guideline number two to loving with, without control walks all over this. He starts, right? Let's not get tired of doing 
what is good. Don't get tired of loving. And then I love what he tags on in verse 10, especially the family of believers. You know, at Christ Community, our vision is to go outside, to love people outside these walls, to be engaged with the community, to, to be serving those who don't know Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that our greatest threat to joining Jesus out there is getting tired of loving the family in here. I'm going to say that again because that's really important for us to grasp. That our greatest threat to being able to continue going outside, joining Jesus in the mission to serve our community, the greatest threat to that is getting tired of loving the family of believers in here. Jesus said in John 17, 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You see, the way we love each other is what the world sees as Christ. And so we must be very careful that we don't get tired of, of doing good to one another, especially to the family of believers. We must make time to love one another, to do good to one another, to, to pray with one another. We, we have to. It's, it's a non-negotiable. We have to make time to study the Bible with one another, to serve with one another, to care for one another. We have to make time to encourage one another, to listen to one another. If, if we don't, the entire vision of joining Jesus in our community is at risk. I love the way Andy Stanley paints a picture of this. He, I love this quote. He said, imagine a world where the people were skeptical of what the church believed, but were envious of how well we treated one another. What if the church got so good at loving one another? The people, they were, they were unsure about Jesus. Like, they're here telling me that a guy rose from the dead and he's alive. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. But they love one another. And I don't know what that is, but I want to be a part of that. Imagine a world like that. We can't get tired of loving one another. And so you, in that, you better believe that I'll join Jeff Bracken in his plea from last week for your presence in a community group. Because that's where we learn to love and to serve with one another. And only you control your commitment to being in community with your faith family. I don't control that. There's nothing I can make you do. You control that. You have to own that. You have to be responsible for that. And I know that it can be discouraging when, when you struggle to find community. I know that it can be discouraging when it doesn't happen quickly. But that brings us to the final guideline for loving without control. And that's simply don't give up. Don't give up. Verse 9 says, At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if, if we don't give up. You know, it doesn't say that we'll be blessed every time we go to church. It doesn't say that we'll be blessed every time we serve. It doesn't say we'll be blessed if we give money. It says we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And so the challenge is this, just decide. Just decide that you're not quitting. The quitting isn't an option. Giving up isn't on the table. We're not talking about it, that we will continue to outlove and to outserve and to be patient with and persevere through and, and express kindness to and, and pursue joy together through everything that this life throws at us. We just can't give up. If we're going to love without control, love never gives up. And we do all this because we have a confidence that at just the right time, 
the time that your heavenly father, the one who adopted you as a spiritual son or spiritual daughter, at that time when he says so, then you will reap a harvest of blessing on his terms, not on yours. Just one final word of caution that I think Paul gives us in this passage. It comes as we read verses 7 through 9. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Here's the thing. If you don't love without control now, don't expect freedom in your future. Don't expect freedom in your future. But if you love without control now, you will reap a harvest in the future. I want to show you a picture. This week, um, Caitlin and I had the honor of uh, uh, hosting a missionary missionary. He's from Brazil, and he's, he's a missionary in India. His name is Marcelo. You say Marcelo? Y'all got it. Marcelo. It's not a tough one, right? Marcelo. And um, he challenged me. He challenged me because he asked this question. He said, have you ever stopped to consider the value of one soul? I thought, gosh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to do that. But it was challenging to me. He said, let me tell you a story that that may help you understand the value of one soul. He said, every summer we do this this youth camp. And um, it it, it costs money. And we don't let anybody come for free. But we have so many students that that have met Jesus in the middle of this culture that is largely Hindu and Muslim. And, and he said, we have so many students that, that they'll meet Jesus. Their families are, are, they don't like it, but they want to invite their friends. They want to unlock freedom for their friends. And he said, so what we do is, is we want them to understand the value of a soul. And they have the opportunity to work. We challenge them, go work and make the money to pay for your friend to come to camp. Oh, that's good. We should have camp. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what I thought. So this young lady on the far right, she was burdened for the young lady in white. She said, she needs to hear about Jesus. I want her to hear about Jesus. I want her to experience this freedom in Christ that I have. So she went and she worked and she invited her and she came and she said, "I, I paid for you to come to camp. Will you please come to this camp? So she comes to the camp and they're preaching the gospel and Marcelo is telling this story, and this young lady in the white, she, she was Muslim. And so they're, they're in the middle of worship, they're singing songs, and this young lady in white, she goes over in the corner, and she just starts praying. Praying to Allah. And they said they hear her praying, and she's saying, Allah, if, this, if what I'm hearing about Jesus is true, I just want to know. I, like, I just want to know what's true. Please help me to know what's true. Like, I, I just want to know, if, is Jesus real? Is Jesus really alive? He said she was over there and she just kept praying this over and over and over and over again. Marcella said, all of a sudden, she just stands up and she screams. 
And she said, I believe. And here's a picture of her telling her testimony. And they said, well, why? Why? Like, what, what, like what, what did God say in that prayer? Like, I, I want to pray that prayer, right? Like, whatever happened? And she said, it was really simple. She said, I'm sitting there praying, and, and, and I'm praying, Allah, if, if Jesus is true, like, show me that it, like, this is truth. And she said, it hit me. That in this culture where it's not okay for my friend to be a Christ follower, she worked and made money and paid for me to be here. It was that important to her that she that I would come and that I would be here. And she said, I realized this must be true. This must be true. And I gave my life to Christ. So we've spent this, this whole series in Galatians, right? And I, I pray, I hope that God has, has given you a picture of what's trapping you, of what's enslaving you. I pray that you have experienced Jesus in fresh ways. That, that he's helping you to walk in newness of life. I pray that, that God has unlocked freedom in some way for you. But if you want to unlock freedom for yourself in a way that you never thought possible, if you really want to experience the freedom in Christ, pick someone who doesn't know Jesus and love them without control. Love them without control until they know Jesus like you do. That's when true freedom starts to happen. That is when you really experience what it is to follow Christ. That is what you were made to do. And that is why Jesus gave you a new life. Not just for you to figure out the best life that you could ever live, but for you to give the freedom of Christ to someone who has never known it. To understand the value of a human soul. 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says this. And then we'll pray and, and respond. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. If you want to unlock freedom, Love someone who doesn't know Jesus without control. Let's pray. Father, we don't, we don't understand sacrifice or love the way that you do because you are love. And you made the greatest sacrifice for us, sending your son Jesus to die so that we could experience that same freedom. And so, God, uh, I just pray that if there, are, uh, if, there, if there are souls here that have maybe been praying that same prayer that that girl prayed, that if, if this Jesus thing is real, help me to know. God, I pray that you, would, that you would use your spirit to just pierce their heart and show them the truth of Jesus Christ today. But God, for those of us who feel trapped by this life, for those of us who who aren't sure what to do next, God, I pray that you would, um, I pray that you would burden our hearts to love, to love without control, to care enough about other people's souls to not let them walk by us, but to reach out, to care, to invest, 
to make a difference. To join your son Jesus outside the gates with the kind of love that, that makes people stop and realize that the God of the universe cares for them. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the family of believers that you have given to us. And God, if there are, if there are barriers and obstacles to loving one another, God, I pray that you would reveal those in us today and that we would be reconciled to them and to you in that. Let us not miss any more opportunities to, good, to do good to all people, especially to those who are the family of faith. That is our prayer this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.